doing? Doing okay. How are you? I'm doing great. Another sunny day here, which is awesome. Okay, so we are going to be talking about your sermon from, well, from yesterday. Uh, tell us, what was the text that you preached on for your sermon? So the text I preached on was from Matthew chapter 15, uh, where we see Jesus uh, go to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he's approached by a Canaanite woman. Um, and she approaches Jesus uh, very unexpectedly. Um, she calls out to Jesus and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Uh, which is surprising in itself because uh, Canaanites weren't uh, believers of, of God. Uh, they had their own God, and um, they had their, their differences with the Israelites since the crossing uh, of the Jordan. And so uh, there was a separation between the Jews and the Canaanites. And uh, Jesus is in that land, and unexpectedly we see the Canaanite woman approach Jesus. And so um, the purpose of my sermon was to go into what she was asking, um, you know, which was relief from this demon that, was, um, uh, that had oppressed uh, her daughter. Um, and I just wanted to go a little bit deeper into that and just speak about the experience uh, in our lives, uh, you know, uh, where we need relief, uh, where we need this uh, sort of rest uh, or the separation from uh, the things that we experience in life. And it could be the devil, it could be sin, uh, many things. You definitely chose a tough reading um, of the of the three, of the Old Testament epistle and gospel. We, we see a Jesus that maybe looks different than what we normally expect like this woman asks him to have mercy on her and his initial response is one of silence right it says he did not answer her a word and his disciples came and begged him to send her away and then and then he answers he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel well they're they're basically going back and forth and uh then finally Jesus you know answers answers her oh woman how great is your faith and and he does have mercy on her, but, but that's tough. That's tough maybe to really understand why Jesus is reacting that way. Yeah, the response that, that comes from Jesus is really profound. It's really difficult for us to, to hear um, because, you know, we're expecting this really nice Jesus. We, we know that he's really merciful and compassionate, and he acknowledges all those that are suffering and uh, just this sort of interaction, this encounter is just uh, really profound. How is Jesus speaking to her this way? Um, and, and I bring that up a little bit in my sermon. Um, you know, Jesus sounds different. And it sounds different because um, Jesus is reminding uh, what was the will of God? What was his task? Uh, you know, why did he come into the world? And um, I think there becomes like this separation that's happening between uh, the Jews and Gentiles. And um, Jesus is making it really clear that he came to the house of Israel. Uh, he came to them. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's this promise. There is this will of God that is happening in the midst of uh, the people of Israel, um, how he is going to bring salvation from this house, being the son of David as a Canaanite woman announced, being the son of David, how does he bring salvation, not only to them, but 
to the Gentiles, to us, uh, you know, and but at the same time, this story is this little glimpse of grace, you know, um, you know, the woman brings up about the crumbs and I wanted to tie that in the sermon and say, those are the little crumbs of grace, but God's will is way more than that. He wants to give more than just the crumbs. He wants to give the full grace. And so Jesus is, uh, presenting himself, um, a little different and yet Jesus is, uh, remaining true to why he was sent into the world. Okay, so this brings me to a here's submitted question, which I think you did touch on, uh, but maybe this will give you an opportunity to explain just a little further. The question here is, the promise of salvation to all people is clear in the Old Testament prophecies, yet Jesus was deliberate in his ministry in going first to the Jews. Was there a theological or practical reason for the deliberate sequence? Yes, there is this uh, promise that is attached to a specific people, right? God had chosen these specific people, uh, going back to a promise made to Abraham, right? That uh, God will uh, give him a son, and they eventually come into this promise where we see in Jacob, his grandson, um, that they will be God's chosen people. And so from that chosen people, this, this line, this prophecy comes, uh, where we see in the prophets where this uh, the root of Jesse, the son of David, will come into the world and bring salvation to all. And so there is this very practical uh, understanding behind this, that, yeah, God had chosen this family, these people, uh, to, to bring uh, the son, uh, you know, uh, God in the flesh, into the world to bring salvation. Uh, the theological, of course, goes back to... Um, to Adam and Eve, uh, the original sin. That's what I was about to bring up, that this goes back to God's promise in Genesis 3.15, right, about Eve's seed right. crushing the serpent's head. Right, and so uh, the prophecy goes back to that. Of course, yeah, the salvation, what, what was the need for salvation? Why did Jesus need to come into the world? Is because of this original sin that um, all uh, humanity had fallen into. And so, of course, uh there is this practical, there's this theological, but uh, Jesus is bringing that out uh, in the text. He's, he, he's being true to the will of God that this is what has been said. This is who he is. And the Canaanite woman correctly identifies him, which is so surprising in the text that she, a Gentile. By calling him son of David. Calling him son of David, calling him out as who he really is. Jesus says that I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she acknowledges that by calling out to him. Uh, so Jesus was remaining true to the will of the Father, and yet we see this great faith of the Canaanite woman. She knows that God's generosity is so much that it will go beyond just this promise. And we see this little glimpse of gospel, and and, and Jesus says, oh, great uh, is your faith. And, and so right in the middle of Matthew's gospel, uh, we see this little glimpse of uh, God's grace is going beyond just the chosen people. It's going to the world. It's going to a Canaanite woman. And of course, I tie that in at the end with my sermon that uh, Jesus gives us the great commission to go to all nations and baptize them. And that God is with you always uh, to the end of the age. Yeah, no, this is, it's really fascinating. Um, I had just done a study on Genesis. So we got into this a lot about this chosen family of God, starting, like we, like you said, starting with Abraham. Um, and we have glimpses 
throughout the whole story of Genesis um, about how it goes beyond. It's not blood. Like, uh, you know, the family, they're, they're chosen by the, the promise of God, right? Um, like, both Jacob and Esau are children by blood, yet Jacob is chosen, you know, by the promise. And so you see, you do see God working to fulfill his promise made to Adam and Eve through this family to bring about the Messiah. Yet you see even more clearly how it's not just for those related by blood. That's that Jesus did come for all, including the Gentiles. And like you said, this is a little glimpse of, of Jesus did have mercy on this Canaanite woman, not because of who she was, but, you know, by this faith that was given to her. And so, right. right? And uh, this is just a theme, uh, just looking at the, the gospel of Matthew as a whole, right? It, it starts out with Matthew saying that uh, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so we right away see that there is this connection being made by the gospel writer that Jesus is this uh, son of David, the son of Abraham, uh, the promised Messiah sent into the world. Um, and Matthew is dropping these little glimpses of uh, of gospel, right? Uh, these little glimpses of uh, this that Jesus was not only sent to the chosen people, but also to the world. We see these little glimpses of uh, the centurion, um, we see the Canaanite woman, and it just keeps on going until Matthew's gospel finishes with the Great Commission. And so it starts out with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of uh, David, the son of Abraham, but now it goes into, now he has the all authority, right? He is the one that uh, tells us and commands us to go to all nations to pro- proclaim this gospel, and uh, Jesus is with us always to the end of the age, us meaning all of us. It's not just the chosen people. It's yeah, that the salvation was was one on the cross for all, right? right? Not just the Jews. Right. And so Matthew's theme is 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 coming out in this in this uh, not only in this text, but you get to see it as a whole. Um, you know, this is what Matthew's is getting to. This is how he's he's bringing this promised Messiah to a specific people, and and now it's to the whole. Now it's to all. It's so interesting. It even makes me think of Jesus reprimanding the the Pharisees who, you know, believed that they they had earned their spot of honor due to, um, you know, this being part of that that blood lineage and and being you know these religious leaders and Jesus would have none of that right. Like he, you know, chastises them for their lack of, of faith and their, their self-righteousness. Uh, so it is really cool just to hear what you had to say about Matthew. Um, how, yes, this is Messiah, son of David, but ultimately he's redeeming everyone. Not based on who they are, who they come from, but everything to do with this um, promise made for them by faith from, from what he did for them on the cross. So then going back to your sermon, um, you told this really moving story about a shut-in that you visited named Tom who had MS. Um, and 
and you made the connection maybe for us and whatever we're going through, we may struggle with why is God not restoring me back to health or why is he not bringing an end to whatever pain or suffering that I'm going through. Um, how did you, so that was the problem of the sermon, right? So then how did you get to then Jesus and that? Yeah, in the midst of this text, right, we, we hear of this different Jesus, but I wanted to make this connection with us and the Canaanite woman. Um, she is uh, in great distress. Her child has been oppressed by a demon, and she is looking for relief. And I wanted to make that connection in our lives. That how are we struggling uh, in our life? How are we experiencing the, per, uh, the pain and hurt uh, and struggle that life gives to us, trying to struggle with our reality at, that, you know, these are all real things. Um, the shut-in that I spoke about, um, and I kept his name, uh, Tom, and it, yeah, that shut-in, um, that is something that he always brought up, you know. He is going through this difficulty, uh, and he's trying to understand what is the will of God, how is God answering his prayer. When will God heal him? Right, and and ultimately in the midst of this pain and struggle and suffering um we want relief the canaanite woman came to jesus because she wanted that relief you know uh we're going through so much how do we receive that and we learn a little bit from the canaanite woman that she was okay with just receiving the crumbs um for off the master's table uh the crumbs which i spoke in the sermon the crumbs of grace um that she was even looking for just a little bit, and it'll be enough. And I wanted to tie that in with us, that we, as the children of God, not rece- we don't receive the crumbs of grace, but we receive the whole bread. Um, our relief comes from God giving us the whole bread, which is found in Christ's body and blood, in communion. Um, and I brought that up at the end, that Tom... Even though he was, uh, he had this prayer, but he received God's grace. And he received God's grace when the pastor would give him communion. And I wanted to tie that up with us, that even though we go through the struggles of life, even though we go through all this pain and hurt, and the devil finding ways to make us struggle with our faith, we all receive relief through God's grace. And that could be given to us now. When we approach the altar, we receive the whole grace. Um, you know, communion is not just the crumbs. It's the full meal. It is It is the whole grace uh, for us. And so um, I wanted to tie that in, that even though we approach the altar, probably like the Canaanite woman calling out to God, God, I need your help. I need mercy. I need um, relief. And Jesus gives that to us by giving himself in communion. And it's not just a bit. It's not crumbs. It's all of it. It's all of it. Yeah, I love that in your sermon, how you went from the crumbs that this woman is begging for to receiving the full bread, right? That Or like what you said right now, the full meal. Like we are receiving way more than what we can even hope to really I mean, I think our lack of faith, we always, um, what am I trying to say? Just, 
you know, struggling with lack of faith, it's, it's difficult to think God will abundantly give us his grace, right? Yet that's exactly what's happening when we go approach the altar, right? We're receiving much more than just what we need, right? Like his grace is abundant and our cup overflows in that way, right? Right, and and this is from the text, right? Jesus says this profound statement that uh, do not give the children's bread to the dogs, which is just, whoa. It just makes us think like, wow, Jesus just said that. But I wanted to focus on that, uh, the children's bread, right? We see that in the Old Testament, even though the Israelites were in the wilderness um, and they were grumbling and saying all kinds of things, against God, they were sinning against God, and yet God still gave them manna to eat, still gave them bread in the midst of sin, in the midst of the struggle, pain, and hurt. um, God gave his children bread, and they ate. That is interesting. So that's why he said, you think, the children's bread? He's thinking of, like, the Israelites? And right, yeah, so the Israelites, he says the lost sheep, Right. And so they're lost. They uh, lost in sin, lost in many, many different ways. And yet he still recognizes that God's promise is still attached to, to giving that bread. God gives life to his children. That's who God is. And Jesus wants to give life to his children. And um, and so through our baptism, we have become his children the same way that abraham was his child right and the yeah no that's really cool and so since we are the children he gives us the full bread in the midst of our struggle pain sin attacks of the devil all of it and still god out of his generosity out of his grace gives the bread of grace um gives himself um and reminds us that not only are our sins forgiven not only um, in the midst of all the struggle that may be happening with our faith, he is with us always. The promise is for us. All of it, all grace, all of God for us. I love that. And it reminds me of the moment in your sermon, or you said when you were visiting Tom and then the pastor asked if he would like communion, right? Isn't that what, or what it was yeah. his wording, the question? Would you like to receive God's grace? There you go. And just he, in a soft boy, voice, said yes. And that's really cool, just to think of that as like the the quiet voice of faith, like saying yes. It may not be as as loud or, or vocal as other other things going on in this world can hear. Right. But it's this humble moment. It is, um, yeah. It's definitely a moment of humility um, and something he would not be able to, say on his own either, you know, right. but, um, but by faith can say, say yes, he does want to receive God's grace. I have another here submitted question it does have to do with, with the scripture passage. Um, I'll read this to you. It says, how should we understand passages that seem to put our assurance of salvation on our own deeds? And he gave an example or he or she gave an example of second Peter one, two through 11. And would you be able to read that passage for us just so we know know what that is? Yeah, so this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2, 2 through 11. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or infruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is no nearsighted, that he is blind, having forgotten that he has cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I think specifically in that passage, I mean, at the very end, if you do these things, and you had named the list before, you will never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So once again, the question, how should we understand that passage um, when it seems to put our assurance of salvation on our own deeds? So thank you for this question. And it's very interesting um, that you bring this up. So in in Second Peter, it is primarily talking about what Christ has done. It is recentering us on what Christ has done uh, for us, and it, it, it is his salvation. So the justification is there. I think this question leans, or this passage leans more towards our sanctification, or how do we live our life in the faith? And so living our life in the faith, um, this sanctified life, or living out our sanctification, um, Paul is recentering us on how do we how do we have these qualities, um, or maybe for us a, a better way to think about it is how do we show the will of God uh, in our lives, and the will of God in our lives is maybe thinking about the Ten Commandments. How do we serve one another? How do we serve our neighbor? And, and so, um, living out uh, our life of faith includes understanding first what Christ has done for us, right? The salvation is there, the assurance is there, and that our life in the faith, um, it looks like uh, understanding what is God's will for our lives? How do we serve one another? How do we do what Jesus has commanded to love our neighbor? And and so Paul is refocusing us or recentering us um to live our life in the faith, to have these qualities for the benefit of others. And so and having these uh, benefits, then he says that, um, you know, this walking this life of faith or this maturity of faith, we understand then, um, we understand the kingdom more. We understand, uh, you know, what is the life that, that Christ wants to give us, this eternal life. Yeah, no, I really like what you said. And, um yeah, I like that that focus on sanctification in that passage, that it's more focused um, on how we are living that Christian life. Um, and also, 
it is interesting, like, going back to verse 1 of that chapter. Um, it says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So that verse, I think, very clearly is talking about what God has given us, how he has justified us by giving us that righteousness of Jesus Christ, which was one for us on the cross. So that that first verse, I think, does very clearly talk, talk about this righteousness of faith, which is brought up in Romans as well, which is not something we do. That's very much what God has given us. We are justified by God. We are made the righteousness of God by what he's done for us. Um, so I think that can be helpful too when we are reading these verses, um, that as, uh, Peter keeps on going on that he is talking when he's talking about these qualities that we have, this is more now that we've been justified by God now in our horizontal relationships with one another, that these are, these are good qualities. And like you said, doing the will of God, Ten Commandments, um, and this doesn't, this isn't what saves us. That's not what Peter's trying to say there. Okay, very good. Um, unless you have anything else, Vicar, I think we're going to wrap up the episode for today. Uh, thank you for listening to our discussion. If you've missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon's in the show notes, and you can also find it on our church website, stjohndublin.org. And if you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Vicar, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thank you. All right, take care, you guys. Bye.